Welcome to Real Personal Finance. I'm your host, Scott Frank, CFP, CFA charter holder, and founder of Stone Steps Financial. And I'm your host, James Canole, CFP, MBA, and owner of Root Financial Partners. The premise of our show is simple. Money can be confusing, but it doesn't have to be. Our goal is to answer real personal financial questions that we hear from our clients and our listeners. Each episode, we answer one personal financial question in a clear and understandable way. Because money is a tool. And when you understand the language of money, you can make better decisions to improve your financial life. Hello, James. Hey, Scott. Welcome to another week. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. We are slowly making progress at helping America be financially literate across the board. How far along are we? We crossed 250,000 downloads recently. All right. Yeah. How many people are there in America? Only like 300 and some million. Okay, yeah. We're close. (laughs) We're close, but that was a fun milestone. We've got this. Um, If you like listening to the podcast, please share with your friends. Um, Please hit the like button or, you know, five-star review on Apple or wherever you listen to your uh, podcasts. Yeah. And please bring in your questions. We have another one for today. Let's do it. Let's do this question today. And yes, agree with all that. Thank you, everyone, for listening. It's been fun to see the the download numbers continue to go up and the questions continue to increase and the feedback continue to increase. So glad people are finding value and we really appreciate everyone listening. And we'll keep doing it. Yeah. Until everyone's financially literate. Until everyone's financially literate. So we will keep doing it. Um, Do you want me to read the question? Yeah, let's go for it. This question says, I was recently advised to get a life insurance retirement plan by my advisor. I currently max out my IRA contribution FSA 401k to about 56,000 and have extra money left over. I'm single and don't have kids to warrant a life insurance plan per se, but it sounded intriguing with the ca- with the extra cash I have left over. I comfortably have an extra 3 to 4,000 every month left over. I'm a bit skeptical of the advisor since he contacted me supposedly from a coworker who gave him my name. Thank you. All right. Well, this is something we see quite a bit. Yes. Very frequently. So this is an excellent question. Uh, Thank you, Brian, for submitting that. And I would love to dive into this. Yes. Where do you want to begin? Let's start with uh, what I think we both see here is a confusion in the industry over what is even an advisor. Yeah. And this, this matters. And so we'll kind of, we'll dive into this and then address a specific question. Yeah. When I, when I read this the first time, when it came across our desks, um, I, I just, it jumped out at me that this sounds more like a sale to me than it does like advice. Um, we can obviously dive into that. Yeah. But that kind of led to the, the idea that, you know, for, for all of you listening at home, sadly, our industry makes it very hard for you to differentiate between someone who's an advisor working on your side of the table and someone who might be incentivized to make money by selling something. Mm-hmm. So I think it's worth talking about that a little bit. Yeah, let's start. I think that's um, spot on. Yeah. How how should I tell? Let's say I'm not educated in this and someone's coming along and give me advice and it's a nice person and they're saying, do this. How should I be able to distinguish whether this is a legitimate advisor or not? Yeah. And I, I'm just to back up, like there's something to be said. Some people want to work with someone who's just going to sell them a product, not just, is going to sell them a product and get them what they need and move on. I think that's great, but I just think you want to know what you're getting yeah. ahead of time. Yeah. So, and right now, the way our business is designed, or the way that it's kind of been the the the, ter- the titles have been taken over by a lot of folks within our industry, 
calling yourself a financial advisor or even a financial planner or a wealth manager or a wealth consultant or an investment advisor, you could have someone at an insurance company calling themselves that. You could have someone at a major brokerage um, calling themselves that, you know, like the big, the big names uh, that with, on buildings downtown. And then you could have someone at a small firm like, um, like James and I run uh, with any of those names. So it's very hard to distinguish just by the name whether or not someone's actually an advisor. Because yeah. when I and when, let me when I say advisor, I'm the way I view it is someone who is going to sit on the same side of the table with you and help you make decisions that are in your interests. Seems pretty simple, right? But a lot of times we operate in manners that it's not necessarily in your interest; it's in the interest of the advisor or it's in the interest of the company that they work for. Um, now there's conflicts in any relationship whenever money's exchanging hands. So we can talk about that too, but um, that's, those are my initial thoughts. How about you? I would agree because I, I have a lot of people ask me, Oh, what, like what's the difference between you call yourself a financial planner, James, I have a financial advisor. Like, so what's the difference between what you do? And it's like, well, it's whatever people want to call themselves is what they're going to call themselves. Mm -hmm. Whether that's financial advisor, planner, wealth manager, wealth consultant, investment advisor, like you talked about. I'm sure a lot of these people on different days call themselves different things, which as a consumer makes it very difficult to say, where does, where's the good advice? Where's the bad advice? What should I be looking at? And so I think there are a couple questions that you can ask to, to at least get to, I don't know, maybe filter out some of the bad apples or at least have a starting point for, should I be taking this advice or not? Um, but obviously it is very confusing because a lot of people can say they're the same exact thing on the outside, but do very different things with their clients. Yeah. Agreed. Um, you know, two questions that whenever I know people are interviewing advisors, I will suggest they ask are the first question is how do I pay you? Mm -hmm. Which in any advisor should be able to give you a very clear answer on that. Like for our firm, people pay us through, um, annual retainers. Some client older, clients on older schedules pay us through assets under management, meaning they're paying us a percentage of their uh, investments for the advice that we give. Um, and then the other question is, how else are you paid? And so like, for instance, at our firm, the answer is we are not. Mm -hmm. People pay us a fee directly and that's it. If we send you to go get insurance or we send you to go get an estate plan or we send you to an accountant, there's no scratching of each other's backs and revenue shares and all of those things. Um, we do that because we feel it's in the client's best interests. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. And this, this, the second question, how well are you paid? And, and the reason, by the way, to everyone listening that we're harping on this is because uh, whenever we see an insurance sale from an advisor, like it, it kind of, our ears perk up a little bit like, okay, Absolutely. what's, what's actually going on? Is this a legitimate process they've gone through to get you to that conclusion? That's what you need. Or is this just someone selling you something that's going to pay them a huge commission? Yes. And it, when they respond of, oh, how are you paid for selling me this insurance? It's typically, oh, you don't pay me anything. The, the insurance company pays me or my company right. pays me. And it's, it's almost like a dodging the question because they're absolutely getting paid for it. And it's usually a significant amount when it's some type of a whole life policy, especially so really understanding that doesn't make a product good or bad, but it is helpful for the consumer to know. Right. Because like Scott said, the way that we get paid is very transparent. It's outlined. It's it's nothing about it is hidden. You see it. But other types of advisors that are also financial planners or financial advisors on their business card or what they call themselves, 
you won't see how they're getting paid or how much they're getting paid. And this isn't to say like Scott and I are high and mighty and above everything else. It's just to say we want people to understand what that looks like because once you see those numbers, you might potentially see why it's leading that advisor to recommend a certain type of investment or insurance product over another one in some cases. Yeah. I mean, the goal, I think James and I have set our businesses up that with the intention that we want to reduce conflicts of interest as much as possible, mm-hmm. not increase them. Um, at least that's why I did mine. I can't speak for you specifically, but you seem like a nice- I just do whatever, whatever you do, I Scott. I so I, so I don't have to ask. <laughs> yeah. No, but but ultimately when I, when I read this, the question of you know getting life insurance, I'm single, I don't have kids to warrant life insurance- that just quickly leads me, it jumps to me to say like, more than likely this is being sold as some type of a tax savings mechanism is mm-hmm. my guess, mm-hmm. um, which on paper will almost always look great. But whenever we've seen them in the aftermath, they've not turned out to be nearly as rosy as they're painted. And someone makes a lot of money off of that. And it's typically not the client. Yeah. Well, and I think that's another reason we're harping on this advisor thing so much. It's not just about how are they paid, but it's- each type of an advisor, whether it's a, a lot of them just end up being salespeople disguising as advisors as opposed to actual advisors. And so we say that because what process did you go through to arrive at the conclusion that you need life insurance? Well, Brian here is saying he doesn't have children that he needs to protect. It sounds like he's doing a good job of saving to other investments. Obviously, there's a lot of details about his life we can't see sure. just from this basic question. Yeah. But nothing about any of this makes me think Brian needs extra insurance. No. I could think of a dozen things off the top of my head that I might rather see Brian at least consider before jumping in and purchasing a life insurance policy. Even if there are tax benefits to it, there's some other much better options in many cases that even after tax can come out significantly better. But like the other things I'd want to know, like, What's a great life look like to you now, Brian? Mm-hmm. What do you want life to look like in the shorter term and the midterm and the long term? And then let's look at what you're doing with your investments, which it sounds like you're already doing a lot of great things. Congratulations on that. But let's look at it through that lens to figure out what you should do next. And while we're doing that, let's try to keep costs as low as possible for you and be as tax efficient as possible for you so that you can keep more money in your pocket. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. Um, you have to ask yourself the role, you know, when you're, you know, Brian is contributing to his 401k, he's contributing to his IRA. And, and by the way, just a side note, Brian, l- look into that. Um, if you're able to save this much to a 401k and IRA and still have three to 4,000 per month left over, you probably make too much money to get a deductible IRA contribution. <laughs> the exact same thing. Invested. Yeah. He might've just meant he's doing a back to a Roth conversion, which those are still allowed, but I love that you're pointing that out. Yeah. yeah, just so just check that out. Like if it's a traditional IRA, you can still make that contribution. It's just no deduction and then all the tax, all the growth is taxable. Absolutely. So it might not be the best thing. Yeah. But anyways, um, where was I going with that? Here's where I was going. With IRA and 401k and all this stuff, like there, there's a purpose for that. I'm assuming that one day Brian wants to retire. And so that those are kind of the fundamental pieces, at least starting blocks of a good retirement plan. Yep. Is can I take advantage of my retirement accounts? Um the life insurance, like where does that fit into the picture? I don't know. Like, are you trying to protect someone? Is someone dependent upon you? Then absolutely. Which so far we've heard no. We've heard no. But I don't. Maybe there's someone else. Maybe there's someone else. Um, and, and if there is, 
then the question becomes, do you get term life insurance for very cheap and a lot more coverage, or do you invest in whole life insurance, which we keep talking about doing an episode on? Have we done an episode? I feel like we should have. We've referenced it in a bunch of points. Well, can I just give the simple short answer? Insurance as a whole, insurance is designed to be something that is necessary because there's a really small probability that something happens in our life. And if it does happen in our life, the magnitude is huge, right? Yeah. So like Amanda and I are a young family. We have two kids. Um, Amanda's dream was to be a stay-at-home mom. And that's what she gets to do now, which is amazing. Um, But so now we have one income. So I need to have life insurance to make sure that if something happens to me, knock on wood, um, we're okay as a family. Yeah. You know, if, if we're fully financially set and there's no need for us, if all of our financial resources were a place where like, I don't need to make any more income. Well, then my insurance need doesn't really exist anymore. Mm -hmm. I probably don't need life insurance. Yeah. Yeah. That's like a big thing when I'm, when I'm uh, working with people who are nearing retirement or in retirement, we're looking at their budget and it's, Hey, tell me about this life insurance payment. It's, Oh, well we need that. Like it's just ingrained. We need that in case I pass away or something happens. And right. Well, what would happen if you passed away financially speaking to your surviving spouse? So, well, you know, I think about it, they'd probably be fine. They have my 401k and IRA and the house is paid off by this point and they have, you know, we don't actually need it. And like, so you get to this point where you're self-insured, but there's a long stretch of time in almost everyone's life where they're not self-insured. And so needing it for a period of time is good. But again, going back to the, how, what is the role that it plays in your plan and how does that need change over time? Right. But anytime you have that really low probability thing, high magnitude, you do need insurance. You typically want the simplest form of insurance too. At least that's the way James and I are going to view this. Mm -hmm. I don't want my insurance policy on my car to also be an investment for me. Right. I just want to make the minimum payment. So if anything happens, I'm made whole and then I move forward. And if nothing happens, I don't get anything out of it. Yep. That's what term life insurance is. The moment you start looking at index, you know, your universal life or whole life or all these things, they're building investments into insurance products. It's becoming more complex. And I'm just going to give you a simple view on this. The more complex a product is, the more money the company makes. Because mm-hmm. every time I look at it, that's what happens. Mm-hmm. And so if you just err towards simplicity in your life, Give me the simplest solution for the needs that I have. You will almost always end up better, at least in my opinion. Yeah. Yeah. And, and I'll, you know, some people say, well, what about these tax benefits? Like everyone sells me or everyone tells me about this whole life policy. And when I say everyone, I mean the insurance person. They say, oh, it's like, it's like a better version of a Roth IRA. Like you love Roth IRAs because they're tax-free. Well, guess what? Life insurance is tax-free, but not really. No. Uh, Just so that people are clear, when you put money into a whole life insurance policy, there's no tax deduction at all. So it's not like it's saving you any money in taxes. No. The growth on that, it does grow tax-free, but keep in mind, there's also tons of commissions and charges and expenses that are coming out that detract a huge amount of that growth. Yes. Like if you look at an illustration, you have to be investing in one of these things for a few to several years before you even break even on what you've put in. Yeah. So like there, there's a lot of stuff coming out of there. And then at the end of the day where you get the tax-free benefits is really just a loan against the policy. Correct. But the reality is a loan against any asset is tax-free. Yes. Like if I took a loan against my house, it's tax-free. If Correct. I take a loan against my 
brokerage account, it's tax-free. If I take a loan against whatever, it's it's really always tax-free. Now, life insurance has some like things built into it that make it easier to plan out, not having to have that called on you or paid back in certain ways. But tax-free loans isn't like a unique feature to life insurance. Um, You can invest in ways that minimize your taxes. Even if you're not using a 401k or Roth IRA, we did a whole episode on this episode number 60. We called it what tax efficient strategies exist after you max your 401k because I, you know, I'm, I'm putting myself in Brian's shoes here. He might be saying, well, the advisor was telling me something about like the tax benefits of this. Well, you can still invest in a very tax efficient way outside of a life insurance policy. And what we're, it's, it's not like a binary decision of are there tax benefits or not tax benefits. What we want to know is one, what role does this play in your plan? Yeah. But number two, what's the after tax benefit? of whatever option you choose. Yep. Like say you have an option where it's not saving you money on taxes and then the other option does, that doesn't mean the option that does is automatically better. You want to see, even if I go with option one, even after I'd pay any taxes associated with that, am I still coming out ahead of the tax-free option, which might be like life insurance in this case? And a lot of times the answer is not just yes, but yes by a mile. Like you're doing significantly better. Yes, especially in the, it's, if you understand the underlying costs that are happening, it's really helpful to see that. Yeah, the underlying costs and what it's investing in, which is it, it's kind of like a glorified bond in many cases, which is just not going to grow as much. Or they build in things like you can invest in this index and we'll give you this this floor that it can never go under, but they also they don't tell you. They also give you a cap. So in years like this year when... Markets have done really, really well. You didn't get the market return. You just got some return up to like 9% instead of, you know, the percentage that we've, I forget what it's been so far this year, but it's a big number so far this year for the S&P off the top of my head. Yeah. Uh, Yeah. Be be careful. uh, Yeah. The short answer. And it it sounds like we are anti-life insurance, which could could not be further from the truth. I love life insurance. Like we, we absolutely think almost everyone needs it in certain, like certain age bands or income or whatever stages of life need it. But it's needed in a very particular way. And there's way too many people trying to sell these policies that, as you mentioned, Scott, are incredibly complex and mind-numbingly so. And and the complexity is what they use to sell it. And they are terrible for people's financial health if it's the wrong policy sold in the wrong way. So we want people to be cautious of that. Yes. And don't let taxes wag like you're all of the choices you're making on your balance sheet right like that's just kind of what it feels like here from the conversation is hey i'm already doing this and this and this so the guy's saying do this next and it's probably that tax idea but that's as you were saying there are more there are efficient ways to manage your money even in taxable accounts that are tax efficient and you don't have to pay um charges to an insurance company for insurance that you don't necessarily need yeah yeah, agreed. Uh, anything else that you would say in response to Brian? Good luck. <laughs> Good luck. And, and, and uh, ask those questions. How, how, do you, how do I pay you? How else are you paid? You know, get, get those answers. Um, and, you know, I think part of it is no, just there's nothing. Some people, they're, they're, I don't want to be, I'm, this isn't a bashing thing, right? There are great people who work at these companies who want to do great work for their clients. Just know that incentives drive all of us. And so you want to know what the incentives are of someone who's making, helping you make choices to mm-hmm. make sure that you clearly understand is this, you know, what's driving them um, mm-hmm. so that you're getting the right, the right answer. Yeah. A butcher's always going to tell you to eat beef. Yeah. Right. 
Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Hey, and beef's good, but it, maybe not always. Yeah. <laughs> There's other things yeah, to look yeah. at. I want to talk to a nutritionist too. Yeah, yeah. And and by the way, like in case it's not extremely evident by now, this is what we do. You know, so if we can be a resource to people or come to our sites, check it out. Like this is what we help clients do. So people can go to Scott's website, StonestepsFinancial.com. Yes. Go to my website, RootFinancial.com. Write us yeah. a note. Tell us who's is better. Uh, and see if we can help. But no, like this is th- th- this is something that I know that you and I both hate to see is when prospects have or clients have been they they come in with these policies that they were sold and it's two months or two years, three years, four years, five years in. And it's like uh, they feel like they wasted a lot of money, and unfortunately, a lot of times they have. And so, if we can get ahead of that and redirect that somewhere else where it can be used more efficiently, that's what we want to make sure people are doing. Yep. Optimize your time, money, energy, and talent. Let's go. That is right. Mm -hmm. All right. Well, thank you for the question, Brian. And thank you, everyone, for listening. And we'll continue on our journey to get everyone uh, financially set in America. Yes. Share the podcast so we can eventually end the podcast. We just have to get to what? Like 300 and Scott can't wait to end the podcast. I I just want to go surfing. (laughs) We never went surfing. So I think maybe once we actually hit financial literacy, we can do that. There you go. All right, everyone. Thanks for listening. And we'll see you next time. Thank you for listening to another episode of the Real Personal Finance Podcast. If you're enjoying the show, please subscribe and let us know by leaving a five-star review. And if you have a question that you'd like for us to answer, then head over to the Real Personal Finance website at realpersonalfinance.co. And there's a section on the bottom of each page there where you can submit your question for us to answer in a future episode. Thanks again for listening, and we'll see you next time. This podcast is for informational and entertainment purposes only. and should not be relied upon for a basis for investment decision. This podcast is not engaged in rendering legal, financial, or other professional services.